Despite conflict of interest laws and regulations, the phenomenon of military officers who head straight for the defense contracting industry and contractor executives confirmed for high-level DOD jobs, it never seems to stop. In the view of my next guest, it might be getting worse than ever. Mandy Smithberger is director of the Center for Defense Information at the Project on Government Oversight, and she joins me now. Mandy, good to have you back. Thank you so much for having me. And you have looked at this, even though the databases are secret, you have just compiled a massive list of revolving door cases from press releases. Nobody's hiding anything. That is correct. Uh, We were able to look at a combination of press releases, LinkedIn profiles, uh, and some federal ethics forms to be able to see where these former Pentagon officials had gone to work. And give us a sense of the numbers over the last couple of years. So we found that in the past 10 years, over 380 people went to work for entities with a financial interest in Department of Defense contracts within two years of leaving. And when we did a deep dive on the top 20 defense contractors, we saw 645 instances of former government officials working for them as executives, board members, and lobbyists, with nearly 90% of them functioning as lobbyists. And just to give them the benefit of the doubt, aren't they by law proscribed from dealing with the specific agency they left? That is, if you came in, say, from the Air Force, you can deal with the Army, perhaps, but not with the Air Force. So it really depends. Um, In a number of these instances, it is a matter of whether you were personally and substantially involved with the program to determine what kind of cooling-off period is in place. And even if you have a cooling-off period for the entity that you were, you know, the Army or the Navy or wherever you previously worked, that's usually only for a year or two. With this large number, 645, in which the top 20 Pentagon contractors hired officials, that was, you say, over a period of how many years? So that was just looking at who they had employed as of about September of this year. Yeah, so that's a small army, so to speak, of people exactly. there. Is there evidence that they have affected contracting decisions? What we're concerned about is it creates the appearance of a conflict. We don't know for sure in all of these instances that that is what occurred. But we look at a couple of case studies. For example, uh, former General James Cartwright, and uh, you might remember the J-Lens program, the blimp that got away. Yes, yes indeed. <laughs> the Army tried to cancel that program, and Cartwright intervened on the program's behalf, and people within the Army thought that that program would not have been saved but for his intervention. After he retired, he joined the board of Raytheon, which was a prime contractor for the program. There's no real paper trail of who said what, but, but there's an input and an output, and it's hard to know what happens in between. Exactly. Any other celebrated cases? I would also point to the case of current Secretary of Defense Jim Mattis, who had been very active on behalf of the Theranos company while he was the commander of Central Command. He was actually given ethics guidance that he should not represent the company before the department. So he did not do that, but he did join the board of Theranos afterwards. So while he doesn't, he did not violate the law, this kinds of instances seem to violate the spirit of the law. He also joined the board of General Dynamics, one of the top defense contractors as well. And the report, interestingly, goes into the history of this, and I guess it really dates in a a contemporary way to the end of World War II, when you really had the advent of the massive industrial complex representing or providing to the military that we have today, and that some of those World War II generals wouldn't do it. Exactly. Uh, We found that One of the subcommittees for the House Armed Services Committee held 25 hearings on the issue in 1959, 
And we have testimony from General Omar Bradley, then Vice Admiral Rickover, talking about their concerns about the revolving door. And we're speaking with Mandy Smithberger, Director of the Center for Defense Information at the Project on Government Oversight. And is it simply the lure of the money is too great when you're leaving mediocrely paid career, if you will, even if you're in there for 30, 35 years, you know, the pay's not that great. And you could retire when there's still a lot of good working years left. And it's hard to say no to, you know, a big six-figure salary, sometimes seven figures from these companies. In some instances, I think that's what it is. I think also a number of these senior officials don't appreciate the um, vast quantity of skills that they have and that they can translate to other sectors as well. And we see that the defense industry has created a kind of on-ramp that allows for the recruitment of these officials. And what about the reverse phenomenon where people come from executive positions in the big contractors and are confirmed in high-level DOD positions, maybe assistant or deputy secretaries? Yes, so that is obviously a matter of concern as well. In the Obama administration, his first deputy secretary, William Lynn, was the first person to receive an ethics waiver because he was a Raytheon lobbyist. Our current deputy secretary of defense, Shanahan, worked as an executive for Boeing. So we have to make sure that those conflicts are managed. We become particularly concerned when people then decide to revolve back into the industry that they were working in before because it raised concerns about who they were really working on behalf of when they were in public service. Sure. And let's hypothetically say someone goes from an acquisition-related position in the DOD, or they might have some influence over source selection. They were a lobbyist, and they go back to one of the big companies. What's the mechanism by which, internally, you think that deals get made such that the source selection in the DOD goes ahead with that contractor? I mean, who talks to who? I'm trying to understand what might happen that you can't see. Right. It- can be in many places in the process, so it might be determining what a requirement is, determining how large a contract is going to be, and all these kinds of decisions impact who can actually compete and whether there will be adequate competition, um, how the requirements are written, is it written in such a way that it benefits one company over the other. You might also have the case that these officials know maybe not a program that's already existing, but a program that they're considering creating and that they might have proprietary or competitive, like, uh, information that would be sensitive for competition that they could give to a new employer. And there's really, well, there are laws in place that are supposed to prevent that information being shared. So much of the system is reliant on voluntary disclosure and uh, voluntary enforcement that it raises serious questions for the public about the fairness of our system. Sure. And you say, of course, the the danger, even if someone is totally honest, is the appearance, and that erodes confidence in the whole system on the part of taxpayers and the public. But I wonder if there's the phenomenon that if you're, say, a long time in government, it looks, you'd like to try your hand at industry, or if you're in industry, you'd like to try your hand at public service. Does the current law and regulation system allow for that to be done in a way that looks clean and is clean? So I think we need to reform the laws in order for that to happen in a cleaner way. We have laws that are so riddled with loopholes, but I think people don't really see that as being a fair system that allows for that to occur in a way that protects the public interest. And I guess it sounds like the Pentagon maybe is not as rigorous as it could be in applying or making sure people understand the rules as they exist now. 
that is another concern that we have. When we reached out to some of these officials that, uh, to request comments, they told us that in some instances they were surprised at how narrowly the department interpreted ethics rules. and in other instances, they thought that the new company that they hired was interpreting ethics prohibitions more broadly. So one of the things we'd really like to see is to have these ethics opinions be released publicly for us to have a better understanding of both how the law is functioning and where there might be more need for reform. So the old saying that a little bit of sunshine is the best disinfectant for this particular process, even if there are no new laws, maybe just regulations allowing full disclosure might help. Precisely. Uh, In the foreign lobbying context, we've found it very beneficial to have the Department of Justice release its guidance on how it interprets these laws. And in order for us to see where there are loopholes and where there aren't, and we discovered through that release that we were wrong <laughs> in some of our assumptions. So I think that having that kind of public disclosure is essential. Mandy Smithberger is director of the Center for Defense Information at the Project on Government Oversight. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for having me. We'll post a link to her report and to this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at iTunes or Podcast One.